Cool. Well, um, our cast will be with us in 10 minutes. So what I might do is take some time at the moment to discuss the recent decision um, by Spotlight, um, which was to create a tiered pricing system whereby you can choose to pay for what is now going to be called Spotlight Classic or Spotlight Premier. Actually, it's not what it's going to be called now because since they introduced the two-tiered system, um, all actors and creators alike kind of lost their shit quite rightly on social media and they now have issued a statement that they're going to be putting it on pause. So what they originally did was they announced that. So first of all, they've rebranded. They had, they had a logo which was, well, I don't know how old it was, a very, very long time. And they've rebranded that and set up a two-tiered membership. In fact, they've moved the Premier one. So now Spotlight will cost £183.60 a year. The Premier one was 200 and, I think it was 290-something. It was just it was not far off £300. And um, it included a lot of different features and resources, things like help with mental health and insurance and a variety of other different things. But some things that I feel were covered by equity, it's now gone from the website, so I can't um, confirm what they were. But I think if you are aware, you would have seen it and you would know. So I got in touch with... uh, Former guests in the show, and I, I put a shout out online to see if they wanted to offer their feedback because obviously the social media was going crazy. Um, you know, your Twitter, your Instagram, um, people quite rightly up in arms because, you know, if you've been listening so far on this journey, you would have heard that we already live in a tiered system. <laughs> we live in a tiered system in life, and um, trying to be creative is a tiered system. Um, well, you know, there's those hoops to jump through and uh, there's money that you have to pay out for. You know, Spotlight is vital, um, but it has a monopoly on castings. So that's why it can get away with this kind of thing. And I think it's really, really sad that they tried to do that. Um, it reminded me of when, and sorry to isolate those that are not into sports, particularly football, but it reminded me of uh, a year or two ago when... Um, the football well the leagues across football leagues across Europe so basically like all the big teams um, kind of got into a, got into a little club together and said oh we're going to create a European Super League and uh, you know that lasted I think about 24 hours before the majority of the teams all backed out because the supporters just went nuts because they knew they were going to be paying for those to go watch their team is play just the elite and it was just going to be watching the elite play football and I don't know about you but in any sport like I love to see the underdog win I always appreciate seeing you know a, a smaller club win just on you know win with passion and enthusiasm and, and um, that that whole thing was going to be removed and then if, if these breakaways were clubs, these football teams went away, then a lot of the lower leagues would have they would have folded. And um it's not fair. It's like it's the same thing here. It is sort of saying, well, 
once again, those of you that can afford it can maintain your stay in the business. And I don't think it's right. It's, it's really not on, you know, all art should be available for everybody to be able to express themselves. Being an actor is so tough. Like we pay out so much money on a yearly basis. And the majority of us, all the other 99% who I'm trying to interview with this podcast, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't get, they don't see that money back. You know, it's been years where I've had no, um, jobs, which will cover my spotlight. I've not even had, um, there's been years, there's been the old year where I've had maybe one or two auditions because that can happen. So, you know, in a living in the time we're living in now, in which the whole country is strapped for cash, where we have more food banks than there are McDonald's in this country, and Spotlight, who make a lot of money off every member, not only they raise their prices, but they introduce another another tiered system. And um I was, I was quite surprised. I was really shocked by it. I did ask for someone to, to get in touch if they wanted to explain what they thought um, the benefits were. And in fact, on there, they did, let's see, they did say something on Twitter. I, I don't know if, if they're not removed now because their latest, um, their latest uh, statement was to say that we just wanted to say to our members and partners that we've heard your feedback and today we're pausing on the rollout premiere. And it's the same scenario as the, as the football league thing. It's not going to happen now, but it's inevitable that it will happen. And I think Spotlight are just working out. I feel like they're working out a way how to sort of reintroduce this at another time. They're obviously waiting for the smoke to clear. Um, but it felt like they were stepping on equity's toes a little bit, especially with some of the insurances they were offering. Maybe there's an opportunity to be, you know, sort of something that they, where they can combine there and collaborate together, maybe. And um, rather than just looking at how much money they can make with this tutored system, why could they not come up with um, something else to help people that can't afford Spotlight? You know? If they're going to gain money from uh, people that could afford this almost £300 a year, then, you know, just Charles Dickens that shit. If you're getting more money from one hand, well, then maybe you can help someone out and have a reduced package for someone else. Anyway, with all this in mind, you've had enough from me. Um, so here's some. Uh, Thoughts of our former guests, Naomi Cooper-Davis and David Herzog. Uh, Spotlight's rebranding and the tiered membership thing, I think, is ridiculous. Um, so I was happy to see Equity's um, response today. But yeah, having tiered benefits when we've all been paying that amount of money for a long time. And to be fair, the, the benefits have never been that great, um, even though we've been all been paying like an in over £100 each, you know, hundred and what's it, like £115 each or something a year. Um, 
and they've got so many members. Um, I'm it's really disappointing, and I would also really love to see Spotlight looking at how they could work with Equity. I've always said this: the only th like we don't re like Equity doesn't have that much strength because we're not unionized properly anymore um our contracts you know people can work on a non-union contract um so it feels like spotlight is really the fact that they're just kind of using themselves in a commercial way is really disappointing because actually they could be using their um their clout and their you know our reliance as a, an industry on them to make members lives better and to make actors lives better um if they're going to do anything tiered i'd love to see them doing a tiered like fee so that like equity does so that some people who pay more you know who are earning a lot more can pay more if they can afford it and those people who are struggling can get a pause because um you know they don't have any function like that um I know there have been times in the past where I had to come off of Spotlight for a year and because I just had no money. Um, and so, yeah, I would like to see them doing things that are actually benefiting their members. And if the old membership things were anything to go by, then, you know, making people pay, people pay over £100 more um, for their membership benefits just feels like it, it just feels really wrong and I don't know if it would even be worth it um, and if you know if they're now finding things that that are worth it um, then they should be making that available to us at the current price they should be getting rid of it giving us those, those benefits because they're making loads of money I can't and I also can't believe that they've spent all of that money they've probably spent a lot of money on their rebrand and um i don't think that's a very successful rebrand when they've just got rid of a hundred odd year old logo that everyone's um you know recognizes and now it's just it well yeah i don't know um it just looks like very yeah it doesn't look very individual or doesn't look doesn't look very distinctive anymore um so that's my two pennies <laughs> That's my little rant for you. Hope well. Bye. Well, howdy there, Ed. Great to hear from you again, fella. I've been loving the podcast. You're doing great work, man. Keep it up. It's absolutely brilliant. Well done for getting that content out there. It is not easy. Congratulations. Now, in answer to your question, I've been looking at all the different features that are with this Spotlight Premium membership, and I think there are benefits to people who are, certainly who are living in London. It's going to be very London-centric, this, but if you're creating your own work, if you want sort of the benefits of, you know, the insurance stuff is very tempting for doing that, uh, and that's definitely worth looking at. The health coverage, the travel insurance, the accident insurance, if you're performing, that stuff is very handy, especially if you're living outside of London. It's really worth considering it for that, especially if you're like me and you sort of flip back and forth between equity memberships when you can afford it and you have them when you need them because um, that's something that they can probably help you with where equity has been able to help out in the past as well. When it comes to things like career advice and spotlight boost events, I'm not quite sure what those events will entail. Um, and the one-to-one -one sessions, again, that's going to be very London-centric. That's not going to have any use for people like me who live outside of London. And uh, the events and things like that, I'd be very cautious about getting a membership for something like that, unless your mommy and daddy have deep pockets and you, know, you could afford that sort of early on in your career. 
as somebody who's done workshops with casting directors and directors and producers over the years for... I see. Let me take that again, Ed. You're going to have to edit this now. Thanks, puppy. Um, as somebody who's done many workshops over the year with casting directors, directors, producers, and creatives, not just for the networking aspect of it, of course, but also the educational aspect, I've not had any success from stuff like that with the networking side of things. The educational aspect, absolutely. But if it's, if it's the feedback you're after and the advice in the industry, that's going to be more well-suited to people who are just starting off in business. At this point in my life, you know, I don't need sort of validation and things like that for you know, my audition technique. I'm more about the educational side of things. You can never be too old to learn things. My money would be much better spent on a membership at the Actors Center and doing classes there. Um, rather than getting you know industry advice through Spotlight, it'd be better spent on, because of musical theater, places like Dance Attic or Pineapple for memberships there. So you just kind of have to weigh up what kind of work you're going to be going towards. If you are like me and want to do musical theater, you might be better off saving your money and saving them up for workshops with individual casting directors who works mostly with musical theater, rather than a generic... Um, premium membership from Spotlight where it'll just sort of give you, you know, lots of random people in the industry. You got to kind of weigh up your options, decide whether it's worth it, and let's face it, for most of us, unless we're very lucky, it might not be. This stuff is expensive, and it's a money game, whether people want to admit it or not. It is a show business, and people whose mommies and daddies have deep pockets, or people who have family that they can live with in London have a massive leg up. So... If you're lucky enough to have the money to spend on this, still weigh up the options as to whether it's worth it or not for you, and see if your money might be better spent somewhere else. That would be my advice. Peace out, Ed. Peace to everybody. Break legs, everyone. You are listening to the Don't Think Act podcast with Ed Ismail. Hello. <laughs> oh, my video hadn't started recording. I mean, not recording. Um, filming. Whatever. No worries. Yes. I can Hello. see you. I can see you. How are you? Good. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. How are you? How's things? I'm good. I'm good. I just had. Um, yeah, I was just having a rant to myself about the whole spotlight thing. <laughs> Don't even get me. I haven't. But, uh, I haven't renewed my spotlight since the pandemic because they're not getting my money. Um, I've got literally one job in my entire career through yeah, spotlight. Yeah. So it can it can get in the bin just quietly. Well, that's um, that's fair. We'll 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 come back to that maybe later. Maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah, they'll cool. come up. 
maybe. Thank you for giving up some time anyway. I really appreciate it. Um, oh, no worries. And um, yeah, really, really excited to talk to you and get to know about your creative journey um, a little bit more. If there's anything you don't want to answer, that's absolutely fine. This is, uh, um, you know, I'm not looking for any kind of sensational soundbite of anything. Uh, I'm Great. just chatting to creatives and, um, and yeah, just wanting to um, give the community some inspiration and to let everyone know that we're not, you know, we're not all alone. Um, we, all come, we all come to this from different points of view and different angles and different experiences. And, and hopefully um, people of all levels can inspire people of all levels. So Amazing. Uh, that's, what, that's what I'm hoping to achieve. Uh, no, no pressure no pressure period <laughs> <laughs> no, no just you know just inspire another generation of actors that'd be great absolutely or or just you know tell them not to join spotlight um so, <laughs> so if create your you... own platform <laughs> well yeah i mean yeah we were we were very near with another group once upon a time but that's another mm. story another podcast for another day great well if you're not familiar with the format i like to start Right at the beginning. Uh, so, Kira, where were you born? <laughs> where were you born? Um, we're getting on David Copperfield. Um, <laughs> I'm. I was born in Australia, um, in Perth. Um, but I grew up in the most stereotypically Australian place you can think of. That most people, not most non-Australian people, think of when they think of Australia. I grew up in the bush, <laughs> okay. literally, <laughs> literally in the middle of nowhere, in a tiny little like it wasn't even a town. We lived in a tin shed, basically what amounted to a tin shed, in the middle of the desert in northwestern Australia, because oh. um, my dad worked um, for a mining company. So <laughs> I grew up there until I was like eight, yeah, and then moved back to Perth. So that kind of upbringing was, it. yeah, I laugh about it now. And people are like, oh, my God, did you go to school on a kangaroo? And I'm like, no, but I had them in my backyard sometimes. Wow. Yeah, it was bizarre. Um, but, yeah, um, I don't know if that influenced anything, but probably, who knows? It's all very complicated. And where do you live now? I live in London. I live in South East London. Okay, great. So you've had, you've had, yeah. a, bit of, you've had a bit of a journey. A um, bit of a journey, a long <laughs> way away. The literal other side of the world. Bit of a trek. But weirdly, though, I I now live a couple of streets away from where my dad grew up. Oh, wow. So, oh, so is your, dad yeah. from, your dad's from England? Yeah, yeah. My dad's from London. Oh, cool. All right. Which is why I'm here, basically. Yeah, because I've got family here, so... Amazing. And I'm allowed to stay, which is quite nice. But well, it's always nice. So does that mean do you have like dual dual citizenship? Or mm-hmm. that's so cool. That's lovely. Amazing. So what 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 was it like growing up in the bush? <laughs> what I asked. What can you remember? I mean, it was fun. We had like we had a massive sort of playground in a weird way, like dodging snakes and spiders and whatever. Mm. Um yeah a lot of space an awful lot of space and yeah there were a few families on in this like little um like group of houses everyone because everyone worked for the mining company and there were kids down the road and I had my brother and my family and yeah it was really weird but 
but really fun getting out and the just the just the the incredible landscape it was all red dirt because the there was iron ore mines um, my dad worked for a salt a salt mining company well solar salt so they evaporated seawater basically um and so it was all red dirt and scrub and the occasional kangaroo or sometimes sometimes sheep and cows because they had sheep and cow stations or farms basic big farms nearby and sometimes they escaped and we had a lawn so that was delicious um but yeah it was it was both yeah it was it was very isolated very isolated yeah um yeah and then moving to Perth was a bit of a culture shock yeah I was gonna say so what was that what was that like adapting did you say you were eight when you moved about eight yeah so I went to a new school and all these new people lots and lots of people Mm. um a city you know like I couldn't just go down the street um and and not worry about other you know other people getting hit by a car or you know things like that so yeah it was a bit strange it was a bit strange but I mean you know you adapt as kids don't you Mm. um yeah and so that was cool um and then yeah lived there basically until I moved to London um yeah went to school went to uni went to drama school um oh no so no I moved to I spent a year in China between drama school and London wow um which is how I saved how I saved money um to move over so yeah that was fun it was hilarious so how did how did how did performing first come to you? That is an interesting question. Um, probably from a very, very young age, my brother and I would make shows. Like I would like, we'd do like magic shows. And sometimes we would, we had this little tape deck because this was the eighties and we, we had this little tape deck with a little microphone. And so we would make um, radio shows with songs we'd recorded off of the radio. I still have my cousins. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> I've I I feel like lots of us have done it. And just because it was like we had the recording technology and it was like, oh my God, this is so cool. We can hear our own voices. Yeah. Um yeah. And I sang at school and um we didn't really do school plays because like it wasn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. But I used to love like music class and drama class and doing all that sort of stuff we had the circus um the local circus come that was quite, actually quite a, you know a famous circus in Australia the flying fruit flyer circus um came and did a workshop with us when I was in primary school and so I learned how to clown I learned how to tumble I learned how oh, to juggle wow. which was super cool yeah yeah it was really really awesome um it would have been like 11 or 12 yeah um yeah I just caught the bug it was so nice. <laughs> the people going, oh, you're actually really good at that. I'm like, oh, cool. Thank you. <laughs> Forgetting that this is a very, very small pond, an incredibly small pond. Um, didn't, you know, didn't care. Was like, I'm good at this. Hmm. Um, yeah. Did we did and we learned ballroom dancing at school, um, which was which was fun. But like for a term every year we had a, a local ballroom dancing company come and, and do lessons with us 
So, um, and then, and then at the end of the term, you had a little competition and I won the competition twice. I was like, Oh, wow. I know. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then I found out, I found out after I'd done that, mum was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Your uncle was a champion. I'm like, sorry, sorry, what? <laughs> um, excuse me. Yeah. He, he was like, he was literally like, if you've seen Strictly Ballroom, the Pan Pacific Grand Prix, um, he, he won like the under 12s version. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I know. It's hilarious. And he's still, you know, he dances at weddings mostly these days, but you know, he's still got the moves. So were, were you, was your brother interested in, in performing as well? Or were you sort of like the only one? Um, not as a, not as a career. He played mm. music, he plays guitar and he's, he's teaching himself. He's teaching, currently te- he's teaching himself the mandolin. Nice. Um, he plays the banjo. He plays like, yeah, stringed instruments. He's got a guitar collection. It's hilarious. Um, and he plays with like electronic music and mixing and and that stuff. Yeah, he's that sort of that that side of it. The sort of he does it. He does it for fun. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And um, so yeah, you mentioned so yeah. Well, how was how did you go about getting more experience than when you realised you wanted to to do performing for a living? Um. Well, there was like there was there's a really big sort of Amdram scene in Perth. Mm-hmm. which is kind of the equivalent of the fringe scene in London. It's kind of that sort of standard. It's not like Amdram over here where you pay a subscription and blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, you don't obviously don't get paid, but when was the last time we got paid on fringe? Um, so, <laughs> um, and the standard was great. And so I, I did my, I, my first, my first um, musical after I finished high school was a little night music um and it was oh it was so much fun I I played um one of the one of the Libras leaders so like the basically what amounts to the ensemble like a Greek chorus kind of thing and um I covered Petra which was awesome and my yeah my first show was Sondheim I was like yes I love this this is amazing I'm gonna do more of this the music is beautiful yeah and is, is musical theatre, would you say, your preferred thing to perform in? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I thought music is just, music sort of speaks to us in a, in a way that sort of other theatre doesn't, especially the human voice. I mm-hmm. think it has a certain emotional connection um, that you kind of don't necessarily get in other ways, although... I mean, I do love other theatre as well. But, yeah, I don't know. Ask me again in a week and I'll give you a different answer. But, yeah, <laughs> music theatre is where where my training and most of my work has been. Yeah. So, yeah, I that's feel like fair. that's where I've got the most experience. Yeah. It's definitely where I've got the most experience, yeah. I like what you said about um, how music speaking to you and also a voice. I think also when you when you hear a voice for the, when you're hearing it for the first time and suddenly like it it's a voice that takes you by surprise mm. and then, and then you're just like oh my god I want to hear every like, life you hear a singer you might be like oh, no I want to hear everything that they've done you know and then you just start yeah. going yeah. on YouTube or, or or if you have a music subscription or something you're just like looking through and I love that and uh, obviously that happens in live performance as well you're watching someone on stage and then you're kind of 
sometimes it's not even what they're even singing about. It's you know, it's, it's the subtext or it's the it, it's their tone and um, yeah, it's, it's almost yeah, enchanting, I, isn't it? Exactly. I often go down YouTube black holes, <laughs> um, yeah. looking for like going my flavor of the month, who I'm listening to at that point. Yeah. Um, so where did you, you went to study? You studied, where did you study for? Yeah, um, I studied at the uh, Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts, um, otherwise known as WAPA. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, the um, the actors made us T-shirts with hamburgers on them. It was great. Um, <laughs> the, it was, yeah, one of one of two main drama schools in Australia wow. um, when I trained. Yeah, there's more now. Um, and there were a couple sort of coming up when I graduated. But, yeah, when I was there, it was it was intense. It was like it was us and NIDA. NIDA was in Sydney and we were in Perth and it was like it was really competitive, incredibly competitive. Um, I auditioned five times to get in. Wow. Got in on the fifth. Yeah. It was my it was gonna be my last time either way. Um, but luckily it happened that that they took me. So happy days. Yeah. And yeah. what was it what was the experience like of training? Um it was good. It was I think it was very obviously drama school is incredibly intense. And looking back, because this was this was like over fifteen years ago. The climate of like it was like pre Me Too, pre a Black Lives Matter, pre all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of problematic stuff going on, mm -hmm. um, and that's just due to the time, I think. And hopefully now, um, thing I, don't, I mean, I haven't been back, I haven't visited for ages, and that that was like a long time ago. Um, and hopefully now things are different. Um, but yeah, I had I had a a sort of tough time with like imposter syndrome and and trying to find my place at drama school. I mm -hmm. think, and I realize I realize now. Um, that that was because of because of my neurodivergence that I only real I only discovered a couple of years ago, um, and a lot of the a lot of the shit that I went through at drama school, a lot of the stuff that I struggled with, I can now go oh right that's because my brain works differently and I didn't know. Um, it was not. Like no one, no one knew. No one even had even thought about it. It wasn't a thing. Like um, neuro inclusion is much more of a thing now. Like mm. back then, if anyone had any kind of sort of learning difference or any kind of hidden disability or whatever, it was like maybe they were a bit dyslexic. That was mm. it. Mm. Um, and there was sort of no talk of accommodations or anything like that. So I just sort of thought I was just a bit shit and struggling. <laughs> more than everybody else but turns out my brain was different yeah and nobody knew and no one could do anything about it because it was not no one knew what to do anyway because this was 15 years ago and people didn't 
didn't have strategies. We still don't have strategies, really, yeah. in drama schools. But, um, yeah, it was so it was a bit tough. It was a bit tough, but I learned a, an awful lot. An aw- we, I have no idea how we crammed so much stuff into the three years. Um, and looking at the way that drama schools are structured now in this country, hmm. um, I'm like, how did... How did I have three voice classes in a week? How did I do? How did I also do three dance classes and a song and dance class and then go to rehearsals in the afternoon? Like, what? Like, how did I do that? And then music theory and then history of, um, oh, um, history of the arts and dramatic literature and like two acting classes and a movement class. And like, when did I have time for all of this? Mm. Um, it was, it was insane. And I was like, I don't know how I didn't burn out quicker, really. I guess I was in my 20s. I was, like, you know, young and energetic. Um, but, yeah, I learned, I learned an awful lot and I have some incredible teachers who, like, inspired me to, to keep going, yeah, which was amazing and I'm super grateful for them, yeah. That's good. Yeah, so I was gonna, I was gonna ask, like, do you, when you mentioned the sort of difficulties you had, and you mentioned it's because of, you know, your brain working differently. But did you feel you were being treated differently by either your peers or your lecturers or teachers? Um, or I think, I think it was I. I just got the impression that like if I didn't get an exercise, mm. or if I wasn't following an instruction the way that. Um, the way that they expected or didn't take a note or whatever, it was my fault. Right. Um, and in a way it kind of was because, like, I processed things differently. Mm. Um, but at the same time, that yeah, it kind of, yeah, it kind of internalised that for me over those three years, just like, no, you're shit and it's your fault. Mm. <laughs> you know, you could be better. You need to try harder. Um, you need to work harder uh, and all of that. And now I I kind of realised that no matter how hard I worked, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't really have made a difference. Yeah. I needed to know, I needed to know what I needed to do differently and I didn't and no one did. Because mm. um, like I was so... Um, so a uh, normal seeming in inverted commas <laughs> like, yeah 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 and yeah when I when I grew up like no one had any inkling that there was there was a difference there hmm. really that was just like oh she's a weird kid that's fine okay cool <laughs> and that was sort of left at that um and I guess I guess part of the reason that I went into theatre, I went into drama school is because that was a bit more accepting of that um, sort of difference, that sort of slightly, slightly weird, offbeat, quirky. Yeah, quirky is a word that comes up a lot. Um, well, it's usually confident, I, uh, quite confidence building, isn't it? When you, when, when you get into drama and we get to performing, usually. Yeah, um, yeah. Which you feel like an outsider can kind of find exactly. your voice a little bit yeah yeah and you know that people accept you because they clap 
(laughs) (laughs) You know, you have instant, instant indication Mm -hmm. of approval. Like, because people, people applaud. Yeah. Great. Um, And so, yeah, because I spent a lot of my childhood not knowing what people thought of me. But like being on stage and having people applaud when I when I finished a song, yeah, cool. Now I know. Great, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> or if like a director was like, "Oh yeah, cool, that was great. Do that again." Beautiful. Thank you for telling me. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. I would not have known. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's um, I think it's, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of neurodivergent people in the arts for that reason. Yeah. And um, if it's all right to ask, um, mm-hmm. how how would you describe then how you might process something or have difficulty with process, processing something? Um, so I think um, because I part of my part of my neurodivergence, so I'm basically I'm I'm diagnosed autistic. Mm-hmm. I got diagnosed last year. Um, and I'm kind of working towards an ADHD diagnosis as well because they quite often go together. And um, part of that is being being um, unable or have, finding it really difficult to prioritise information, like sensory information. And so knowing, and because a lot of lot of acting is responding, right? Mm-hmm reacting acting is reacting I got told over and over and over and I would be getting all sorts of sensory information and going what do I respond to what is the most important thing that I need to respond to right now um and then also things like um trying to feel stuff like oh, yeah, yeah, you'd be feeling angry right now. And I'm like, cool, how do you do that? Mm. Um, I don't know what angry feels like. I don't know what that is. I know what it looks like. Yeah. I know how I know how my, my body reacts when I'm angry, but I don't know what that feels like emotionally. Um, because, like, as with a lot of autistic people, it, we find it really difficult to, to identify emotions some of the time, a lot of the time. Just that they like they exist. Don't know what it is. Mm. Um, and so, you know, um, when you're an actor trying to trying to produce a kind of emotion, then that was that can be super difficult. Like if I'm playing a really emotional scene, um, I remember one time I was playing um, a mother who whose child had had um, had passed away. And had to, you know, wail in grief. And I just kind of went through the motions. Just did the thing. And, I mean, it worked, I guess. Like, I wasn't told otherwise. So I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. Let's move on. You know. Um, But didn't feel anything. Mm. So, and I know that's different for a lot of other actors. Yeah. There's now um, since studying it a little bit more, I know there's like there's the inside out version. So the emotion produces what happens physically. Um, 
and then outside in. So what happens physically then kind of can produce an emotional response. Mm. Um, and I'm much more of an outside in actor, I think. Whereas a lot of a lot of my training, not all of it, but quite a lot of it was more inside out, I think. Um, as far as I remember, that's what it felt like at the time anyway. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that about that. And um, I will come back to your autistic actors page on Instagram a little bit later on. So I really want to hear mm-hmm. about that. Um, but uh, I could go back a little bit more again. And oh, actually, no. How did you, how did you get here? How did you come to London? Obviously, we know yeah. you your, uh, you have family here, fathers here. But um, yeah. Um, well, like I I came on holiday with my family when I was like twenty one and loved it. Um, and had kind of always said I wanted to come here for like. You know, because m- quite quite a lot of Australians do the like um, youth mobility visa. You get like two years to work oh. um, in the UK, and sometimes you. And a lot of Australians have European passports anyway, um, through ancestry, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, so it's definitely a thing for young Australians to come to the UK and Europe, and I definitely wanted to do it. Um, but I finished drama school, got a job in, um, Macau, which is, um, just near Hong Kong, kind of like it's, it's, it's kind of like Hong Kong in that it's part of China, but not really part of China. What what was the job in Macau? Yeah, I went and I, I got this job in Macau and Macau is the Vegas of the East, where mm. um, there's there's literally more casinos in Macau than Vegas. Yeah, I was going to ask um, if you're a, a croupier. No, oh, God, no. <laughs> no, I can't do maths. Um, <laughs> um, no, I was a singing gondolier at the Venetian in Macau. Oh. Yes, so they have the Venetian Hotel in Vegas, where you have they've built canals and they mm. have gondolas and. Um, it smells a lot nicer than than actual Venice, but um, there's fewer rats. But um, we had the the um, the Chinese version um, in Macau, and it was huge. When I was there, it was I don't know if it still is, but it was like the biggest casino floor in the world. Um, in this massive building with like three floors, and the canals were on the second floor, so. Um, they went around like a, a shopping mall kind of area. And so people were walking around the edges of the canals watching us sing and people could book rides um, wow. with us. Yeah, you took them on a 15-minute ride up and down the canal, sang them a couple of songs, talked to them in a, in a really fake Italian accent, and they had a lovely time. So you had to pretend to be Italian? Yeah. That is very weird. What did you sing? The whole time. Um, we, had, we had a sort of repertoire of Italian songs that we had to learn like traditional stuff um but basically we could sing whatever we wanted some of us learned like um italian like other italian arias um we had lots of different nationalities um in the cast so we would sing um stuff from other nationalities i did a lot of like old school music theater stuff um we learned um we learned some chinese songs 
Oh my god! Like most of the tourists were Chinese. We're from from mainland China, um, so we learned a couple of songs in Mandarin. Um, some of the other gondoliers learned songs because we had like lots of lots of people from like India and Pakistan and Southeast Asia, like Thailand, um, Cambodia, Indonesia, that sort of that sort of area. Lots of Koreans as well, so we learned a bit of K-pop. Um, oh, had, cool. I once had like that we had to do an event that was like an like was like a K-pop album launch, and so I had Korean pop stars in my boat um, for like the media, and it was hilarious. And they stood up and waved, and they're all very well dressed and very lovely. So I had like a, a Korean boy band in my boat one day. It was so funny, and I was there just like hello. Like, <laughs> In my little straw hat and stripy t-shirt yeah um but yeah i had to be every time anytime i was out on the floor i had to pretend to be italian I had to be in character oh wow yeah so, do, do you remember all these songs in these different languages no <laughs> i wasn't gonna ask you to sing any of them i'm just i mean that's, no, a, that's a lot I mean, like... So, like yeah some of them i mean i remember the first bit of the chinese one Mostly because I like I've tried to sing it for my Chinese classmates, <laughs> um, and I, I remember some. I remember the Italian arias. I, re- I had I learned like I learned a lot of Puccini, um, oh. so I learned I learned Ness and Dorma. I learned O Mio Bambino Caro. I learned like you know all the big hits, <laughs> um, all the bangers, <laughs> all the all the absolute opera bangers. Um, yeah, and we had some incredible classical singers. Um, on the job as well so I learned a lot from them um, like the proper Italian pronunciation um, for these songs which was great yeah and like cheesy Italian pop songs um, and stuff like that yeah so funny and how long did you do that for um nearly a year wow mm. yeah it was it was tough so that would have been your, <laughs> that would have been your first experience but was that your first experience being away from home um, yeah yeah pretty much yeah it was um we had a, we had an apartment um i shared with other with other other gondoliers other like entertainment um staff members in the sort of um the town nearby um the sort of new bit of macau city and yeah was there for like 11 months and ate so much Chinese food. It was <laughs> amazing. Um, but it like it used it was a Portuguese colony and so they have incredible Portuguese food as well. Oh wow. Um yeah, it was all about the food. And then on my days off I went to Hong Kong and went shopping. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. It was it was great. Um, but we worked incredibly hard. We were doing eight hour days, six days a week. Yeah. Um, singing pretty much the entire time. Um and so I learned a lot about vocal stamina. I was going to say that's <laughs> a lot of lot of, pressure, lot of pressure on your voice, isn't it? And so I imagine you yeah. spent your time when you weren't singing, not talking. Um, well, I had a yeah, I had a humidifier in my room, and to be honest, no, when I wasn't when I wasn't working, um, there was a lot of a lot of eating and drinking happening, <laughs> a lot of socialising. Cool. So we were all sort of in our twenties and yeah, thought we were invincible um yeah yeah so we had a lot of fun it was basically like a cruise ship but on land and we didn't get to go anywhere else so it was that kind of environment um 
yeah, a lot of working hard, a lot of playing hard. Hmm. And I think I only lost my voice like twice in the in the year that I was there. I think I only had to call in sick like twice. Yeah. Great. So pretty, pr- pretty proud of myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was, you know, because we, you know, because of like illness um, rather than losing my voice because <laughs> because of reckless behaviour. Um, yeah, obviously now I would not recommend that at all. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, guys, don't do what I did. I got really lucky. Um, I apparently have cast iron vocal folds and they're fine, um, but don't do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it must have been really, yeah. like, it must have been so educational in terms of like, what you said about um, vocal stamina, um, mm-hmm. you know, using your voice like that so often. Because it's not just yep. like it's not even just like singing. When you're talking about singing all these Italian songs and arias and like they're operatic and mm. and singing in different, yeah. obviously singing in different languages. You're using your mouth in a different way as well. Yeah, um, I think that's like, part of why it wasn't so strenuous because we were using that using voices in in lots of different ways all mm. the time, and not just doing one thing over and over and over. Um, and I think that's probably part of the reason why I found it not not too terrible. Yeah. Um, and also because I like it on the gondolas, it was all a cappella, so you could choose choose the, whatever key you wanted. And so on days where <laughs> on days where you felt a little bit under the weather, it was quite a lot lower. Um, so you know they didn't. No one cared what key you sang it in because mm. there was nothing accompanying you. Yeah. Unless you did, yeah, because we did corporate events in the evening sometimes as well, where we had a band or a backing track, and obviously then, yeah, you had to sing in in the key it was written. But most of the time, we could just choose, yeah, and it was fine, because like the people in the boat didn't know any better. Yeah, no one, no one cared. As long as we sounded nice, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you didn't get any Italian tourists then um, checking up on your accents. I had one once <laughs> and I didn't break character, but we had a little moment where he was like, I was like, I know, you know, and we had that little glance and I was like, Oh, I'm just going to keep going. Cause that's my job. But he knew <laughs> he was, he was like, mm-hmm. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm blatantly not Italian. No, no way that I'm Italian, and I apologize, but this is my job, so I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) Cool, we're back. We are back. And so what was the move like when you came to England? Did you come to L- L- London straight away? Yeah. Yeah, I came straight to London. Oh, actually, no, I went back I went back home for like three weeks to sort, sort myself out. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, to see my family before I fucked off to London. Um, yeah, moved um, on like the coldest day of the year it was like the 28th of February when I landed and it was absolutely Baltic 
Um, <laughs> and of course, like I'd lived in the tropics my entire life and spent the last year in Macau, which was very, very hot as well. Um, so it was like, oh, cool. This is, this is a different climate. I'm going to have to get used to this. Um, yeah. And that was, <laughs> so that was fun. I was like, yeah, I need to, I, I need to get a better coat. Um, <laughs> I think I wore leggings under all of my trousers for the first, for the first winter, for the first couple of months. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I moved in to a house, a, a share house um, that a friend of mine who, oh, a, yeah, a friend of a friend who had gone to Mount View was moving out of because she had just graduated. And so it was in Wood Green and it was dodgy as hell. Oh, and, Wood Green. Uh, yeah, good old I, Wood Green. I, I was born from not very far from there, so I know it well. Uh, oh, joyous. I was there during the riots, um, which was wow. interesting. Like within my first year of living in London, um, I, I froze. I experienced riots and then I got mugged. So um, that was great. Oh, I had a great time in my first six months. I'm so uh, sorry. That's awful. It's okay. It was, I, I'm, no, it was, it, you know, it was, a, it was kind of, kind of fine because if I can deal with that, I can deal with most things, you know. Cool. But at the time, did it make you think, actually, maybe this wasn't worth it? No. Absolutely not. No, I just was like, okay, I just need to move somewhere better. <laughs> yeah. In London. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to move south of the river. Um, yeah. Um, because, yeah, when I moved there, I didn't know. And, of course, when I got there, people were like, oh, you live in Wood Green. <laughs> I'm like, what? What's wrong with Wood Green? Sounds nice. There's a shopping centre. Um, it's on the tube. Um, but, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, yeah, uh, but you know, I, I scared off my mugger by screaming in his face, um, until the neighbors appeared, which was nice. Thank you, neighbors. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Wood Green community. Um, and he only got my phone, so fine. And I wasn't badly injured. So all good. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then I moved. <laughs> to a much nicer house south of the river. So um, in a much nicer area. Transport, not as good, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the divide, isn't it? That's the funny thing about London, isn't it? Once you go south of the river, it's a little bit harder to get in. Yeah, but. It takes a bit longer. It's cheaper and it's nicer. So, yeah. yeah. well, at least, you know, the places that I've lived, um, that was my one and only time living, living north. Um, when I first moved here so but I'm quite happy south of the river now and it seems like there's a lot of other stagey people in the same boat so yeah I'm quite happy about that um I found out that yeah there's lots of it there's so many of us who live down here because we can afford it and it's nice yeah so other than the the weather and the and the mugging which is <laughs> I'm so sorry about um why you didn't nation. do it no i didn't but uh oh, it's just yeah it's just the worst isn't it like that. Yeah. um what so what kind of what 
What differences did you notice about coming from other than weather? Obviously, which has been stated. <laughs> well, uh, like being a creative, being a creative and coming yeah. to London. Do you remember what that was like and, and yeah. how it made you feel? Like, I just felt like as an artist, so much more accepted. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, because Australia. When well, when I left, at least I'm not sure what it's like now. Although I don't think it's changed very much. Um, there's a sort of, um, there's not as much respect for the arts over there, even though Australia's produced incredible, incredible people, incredible artists. Yeah. And there's such amazing actors. I I mean, I did a a previous guest who was also Australian, Steph, Mm. like I said to her, like, what is in the water over there? Because something is... And like so many Australian actors, I've done a big film buff and watched a lot of TV, mm. um, have infiltrated America. So like, I'm always yeah. surprised that so-and-so is from Australia and like they've been portraying America for like mm-hmm. years. Um, yep. Yeah, I'm just so like, they're, they're amazing. You're, you're all yeah. nice. you're doing some, something, you're doing something right. So I find it surprising. Oh, we have a cat in the background. Um, oh, that's Dave. <laughs> Hi Dave. Oh, it's Dave the cat. He's come to say hi. He wants to know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I'll interview him up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's um he listens to me singing sometimes oh. and he, he finds it hilarious. So, yeah, oh, he's lovely. Hello, Dave. He's a good boy. There you go. You can sit there. <laughs> um yeah, I think I think part of that is because there's no jobs in Australia, so everybody leaves. Right. And we hear about the ones who've left and made it. Um, that yeah, because it, it's over. It's a very small industry. Mm. Um, there's like it's only twenty five million people in Australia, and there are more theatres in Shaftesbury Avenue than there are in like the whole of Sydney. Right. <laughs> like it's it's nuts. Um, I mean, maybe maybe not these days, but like in terms of big houses, there's nothing. Um, and the film industry is is great because people get tax breaks for filming in Australia so like lots of stuff gets filmed they've got a big Warner Brothers studio in in, um, in the Eastern States and they do a lot of filming over there Um, they yeah lots of big budget American productions get get Mm. shot in Australia so that's how some Australian actors get get a break because they get hired on those those films because they have to they have to hire a certain amount of local talent um as part of the deal but um I think also because the training is really good over there it must be having experienced it um not just not just my school but also like other other schools in the eastern states the training like is as far as I'm concerned exceptional um and yeah there's but I think over there, if you're if it's not sport, no one cares, right. really. Um, it, everything's about sport. Everything's about outdoor stuff because um, that's just the culture. It's that sort of culture, and it's sort of seen as 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 a bit pointless and a bit like weak and um, unnecessary. The arts, in in a lot of ways. Um, 
and there's not as much of a tradition because there's not much of a tradition of anything in Australia because it's so young. Um, But, and also because like um, the, that's, that's a lie because like the First Nations people have an incredible tradition of storytelling and dance theatre and, um, and performance, which is amazing. Um, But, in terms of sort of Western ideas of theatre and performance, it's sort of not, it's if you're not on Neighbours or Home and Away, like, why bother? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So whenever I said, it, said, oh, I'm an actor, everyone was like, oh, are you going to be on Home and Away? I'm like, no, no, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot fewer opportunities. Mm. For a lot more people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and because I had a British passport, I was like, I'm going to go where there's more, more diverse opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, yeah, because the industry in Australia can be so, is so small, it can get a little bit clicky. Like pe- the same people get hired all the time. I don't know if that's changed. It might have done. It might have oh. sort of opened up a little Thank bit. Thank God it's not like that here. It's not. No, well, it is, but it isn't. <laughs> but like some, some, the, yeah, yeah, the, of course there's going to be clicks in certain parts of the industry, mm. but you don't have to work with them. You don't have to no. try for those jobs because there's others. Yeah. There's like, you know, there's always a dozen musicals running in town. Yeah. Whereas like in Perth, we were lucky if we got a tour, we got a national tour once a year sort of thing and it was never cast in Perth um I think there's more companies doing stuff now um that I've heard and they're doing really really well and I'm so so stoked for that because it for the longest time it was sort of not a lot going on um but more is happening now because people have gone we need this we need to make it ourselves which is fantastic um but you know, the big, big musicals like, you know, the, the Wicked and Hamilton and Mary Poppins and stuff like it's, it's basically like the, the equivalent of a number one tour. So you do six weeks in Melbourne, six weeks in Sydney, six weeks in Brisbane, maybe Adelaide and maybe Perth, if you're lucky. Um, some of them don't even tour to Perth because it's a long way away. <laughs> Yeah. It's a really, really long way away, and it's very expensive to get there, especially if you've got a massive theatre set and a cast of twenty, mm. and you have to find local musicians. Like they can, like local musicians is not a problem because there's incredible musicians in Perth. There's a massive jazz scene over there, and it's fantastic. Um, really, really incredible musicians, but like logistically, it just doesn't get done because it's really expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, like, here, you can get on a train and be in Birmingham in, half, in, like, an hour and a half. Like, and even going to Edinburgh is not that much of a de- big deal because you know that the theatres are there that can, um, they can handle the big sets. You know that there's an audience. Mm. You know that there's, like, infrastructure to support it. There's, you know there's somewhere for the cast to stay and for the company to stay. Um, I mean, luckily I haven't had to deal much with theatre digs, but 
you know, they exist. Yeah. Um, you don't have to put people up in a hotel, um, that sort of stuff. So it's a very, very different industry. I think because because geographically it's so spread out, mm. um, it's sort of not concentrated in one place like London. As much as we love regional theatre, as much as regional theatre needs a boost in this country, but like it's not, it's not. Um, you don't have that kind of central hub of theatre in in Australia. It's sort of kind of divided between Sydney and Melbourne, and they sort of fight over it. But um, yeah, it's 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 a different it's a different landscape, I think. Yeah. But then having, like, not really having worked in it, I left as soon as I finished drama school. So I haven't really worked in the industry over there. I did I did some some small stuff in Perth before I trained. But um, other than that, I didn't work in Sydney or Melbourne. Um, so what I know comes from what I hear from, like, my former classmates and my colleagues and stuff over there and my friends. So... And why I sort of here on the grapevine, but that was the the vibe that I had when I left. Um, and it was sort of more um, more sensible for me to come here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really long winded way of saying <laughs> London's <laughs> better. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember what it was like to get your headshots for the first time? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was a drama school. It was a third year of drama school. And it was like a conveyor belt. You literally got about 15 minutes um, with the guy who did all the shots, like all of the production shots for the shows. And he was great. Um, but I, <laughs> I had just changed my hair because I had a little crisis and I was like, no, I'm chopping off all my hair and dyeing it black. Um, having had you know long ginger hair for for quite a while previously um and so i didn't look like that for very long um which was which was a problem um and then yeah and then i changed my hair again in china um but yeah it was it was like a bit strange and i felt really awkward about it and then was you know i got a good shot out of it but and again then like they're all in black and white so, I mean, it feels like I feels like I'm talking about the freaking dark ages, but this was only 15 years ago. It's yeah. 2009. Yeah, it's not been that. Ago. It's not been that long since we've had color headshots in, in this country. No, it's, no. It's, I mean, I don't think it's been 10 years. When I first moved over, it was still, um, <clears throat> it was still black and white hard copies yeah. that you needed. You had to go to visualize, charge the absolute earth. <laughs> um and everyone realized oh wait no photo box charges like hardly anything um and they send it to you you don't have to like schlep to oxford street to go pick them up um yeah it was all hard copies and i i did the the whole thing of like writing to agents and got fancy paper and like business cards and like a return envelope so i could get my headshots back because they were expensive um yeah I think I sent like 50 letters to agents when I got here and I got maybe half a dozen replies all of them were no <laughs> thanks but no thanks yeah. um 
I'd say that was like, oh, oh sorry. Because, uh, like, we get told, and I'm sure people still do in whatever drama school you train at, people get told that you've had an excellent training. You've got the name behind you of this drama school. Like, all the top drama schools tell you this. And, like, because you, you're one of our students, they're just going to look at the name and just go, oh, yes, we know what kind of actor you are and you're going to be great. And I got here, I was like, no one knows who, who the hell I am. No one knows, no one knows my school. No one cares. Um, and it was just like, oh, that was a reality check. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, yeah, I wasn't, um, you know, one of the local grads. Um, but it was, yeah, it was interesting. Coming from, I, yeah, coming from a small, smaller industry. Hmm. Mm. Does it feel like a small fish in a big pond? Pretty much. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I thought, oh, I'll get there. I'll probably get Panto. I'll probably, you know, get, you know, get some auditions and an agent, whatever. None of that happened. <laughs> None of it. Hmm. No, I ended up, I ended up working in front of house for two years. Uh, more than that like yeah I've been been there I know I know I know (laughs) oh my god yeah I worked at Shrek for two years and then I worked at Wyndham's for like five so yeah I I I did my time I did my time selling ice creams um but at the same time that's what all the actors do and that's where you meet all the cool people um and you get to get paid to watch shows so that's quite yeah. nice. Yeah, it's a very, it's, I mean, it's a obviously it's a very London centric kind of idea. I mean, yeah, bigger mm. theaters. I think, I think for a common question I get asked is like, well, how do you, how do you earn money, and how mm-hmm. do you be creative, and how do you juggle? And it's like, well, still yeah. jug, still juggling. Yep. Still, still working it out. I mean, it did take me ten years to find the perfect job, which is a job I have at the moment. And I'm lucky that um, I, I work for a theatre, and they're very flexible, and there is mm-hmm. an ethos within that theatre that they know that everybody that works there doesn't want to be doing the jobs that they're doing there. But they've all got things outside they want to be doing. Wherever you're mm-hmm. an actor, a writer, a director, a producer, a choreographer, whatever it is, they'll know you're you're in a you know you want to work in a creative environment a to save your mind because it's you know i've done the desk job i've done the corporate mm-hmm. it's you know it's not for me um exactly but i did retail for ages that sucks yeah like, but when you're when you're surrounded by minded people when you're not working yeah. muggles um <laughs> and everyone's a wizard it's great it's very easy and it's, and it's mm-hmm. just you know, you feel the constant camaraderie and community that you that that you need to uh, to, to get through um, that side of life, which is earning money to stay fed and clothed and, and housed. Um, but front of house is great, like you say, you get to meet people. Um, you know, you, you meet all walks of life. They're all creative, mm-hmm. and most of that stuff is in the evening, so it frees you up, frees your days up to hopefully have auditions or create meetings or going to yeah. workshops, going to classes, dance classes, improv, whatever it is you want to do. 
again that's a very london color centric thing but you can make that you can make that work in other places like go work in your local regional theater go find out exactly what's happening there find out all about their talent programs and you know if you're a performer asked to audition they should be supporting local artists they shouldn't be bringing in people from anywhere else they should be feeding off that you know that, that landscape which is we should have a pool of talented people and sometimes in certain areas of the country you have to dig that creative hub out you know you don't always live in a very creative town mm. um, uh, but we're there we're all there we're everywhere there's one of we're us everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> pretty much i mean um, like especially regional theaters who don't have like long-running shows and like playhouses in town like i learned more watching all sorts of plays at Wyndham's than I did in three years of drama school about acting and about sustaining performance because like I got I got really lucky and it was like really quite a prestigious venue in terms of like we had some really incredible plays with incredible people um and I got to watch them every night and I learned from their performances I learned what they did I learned what was different every night what was the same and i also learned from the shit ones because we had yeah. some doozies of course, <laughs> um, of course we had some awful awful shows and i'm not going to name them um but there and but we had some great shows where there were some terrible performances i'm like what is it about that actor that mm. i don't like mm. and sitting there every night you have the time to go what is it about that performance that works or doesn't work and that's such a valuable thing to be able to do to be able to watch other actors work and go how's the audience responding how are the other actors responding are they listening to each other are they just saying the words and taking all of the the like being attention hogs are they chewing the scenery are they in it you know Mm. And we had some some incredible performances. Like I was there when they filmed Skylight with um, Bill Nye and Carrie Mulligan. And oh, holy so, shit! Oh. I saw an understudy performance of that. Yeah, the understudies were great as well. I was I, I watched that as well. Um, they were they were all great too. It's just it's just a great play. I mean, yeah, David Hare, bless him. And that's, the main character that's, called- that's coming back on National Theatre Live, I think. Yeah, yeah. For people to go watch. Yeah, it's why I thought about it. I keep seeing ads. Mm. Um and she she cooked a bolognese on stage every night. It was crazy. We like we kept getting <laughs> bolognese sent up to the office going, Does anyone want some? And we're like, No, thank you. <laughs> God, I can smell it every freaking day. Um, but that was just an absolute masterclass. The mm. two of them bouncing off each other. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. Um and with really great writing um and that that was only one of like dozens of credible performances that i got to watch yeah when i was there yeah even in you know some great performances in really terrible plays (laughs) yeah oh yeah you do see you do see that i mean i know from working how we went to the playhouse like yeah it's it's quite astonishing some of the things you see but there's always someone really trying hard um mm. so someone really focused there's always someone that's there without ego 
Um, yeah. And yeah, you, you learn a lot. And it's important to watch stuff that's, that's not good as well, because it's important to know what not to do and what choices not to make. Um, yeah. Really important. Uh, I watch a lot of shit films. <laughs> mm. Most of the films I watch disappoint me, but it's good because I'm like, okay, uh, because I'm a writer as well, I'm like, okay, if I was writing this, this is what I would do. It gets me thinking in different, in different ways. And, mm. um, but even like acting choices as well. Um, yeah. You see some people and you're like, oh, you know, you see some people on screen and you're like, oh, they're too theatrical. They're doing stage on screen. And you see people on stage and you're like, oh, they're too, they've been doing a film and TV too long, you know. Yeah, literally. You would see actors who've been on soaps lose their voice after six weeks because they couldn't yeah. sustain yeah. the vocal, like, energy you need in a theatre. Yeah. Um, and I'd be like, yeah, I could, and I, you know, I could tell within the first couple of days, you're going to lose your voice. You're, <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. Um, because they don't have that experience. They've just been in front of a camera where you're speaking like to something like a foot away from you mm. with the boom just out of shot or whatever. Um, and they just don't have that experience. But like you can tell, you can tell very quickly who's going to lose their voice and who's not. Are there, are there any performers that inspired you either growing up or that you fall into work off? Um. Oh, no, well, no one in particular, I don't think. There's different people who inspire me at different points mm-hmm. in my career. Um, I think at this point, in, at this point in my life, people like like Kate Blanchett, and um, because she's just a chameleon, she's just she can inhabit a role like no other. Not the first time. Not the first time she's come up on this podcast. No, and obviously because she's Australian as well. I just love her, Um, and she's hilarious. And um, as opposed to like a personality actor like Julia Roberts, who plays Julia Roberts in every film, Um, she does it very well. But yeah, but then the same character every time. There are some films where you're like, where did that performance come from? Like she, where Mm. you don't things like I don't know if you've seen August of Sage County. Um, no like i mean her and meryl street you just you just it's just phenomenal um mm, i guess yeah meryl street holy I, shit i highly recommend it and that that whole cast is phenomenal like there's loads mm. of great people in it and i and i think that is i do think she's very good but i also think she hates like you said she's made a career out of, of sort of playing a certain role sometimes but there mm-hmm. are there are some roles even in some of her early roles even stuff like Sleeping with the enemy. There's no film without her, like because the rest of everyone else in that film was terrible. But she mm-hmm. she carries that film. Yeah, like, she's she's a, she's very good. Like I'm yeah. not denying that yeah. she is very very good. Yeah, yeah. But I'm more interested in the actors who who can explore something outside of themselves. Yeah. Um. And there, but yeah, there's actors that that can play authenticity and honesty and truth in a very personal way mm. and connect that to this to themselves which yeah is, is is interesting and you know exciting to watch when it's done well but I'm also interested in the stuff that's a bit more outside of oneself where you have to use a bit more imagination mm. have to play a little bit yeah. um have to do a bit more research if you're playing a real person for example yeah. Or if you're playing like, I mean, a, a, like an immortal elven queen, for example, <laughs> like you know, 
Um, I'm like, how is that? How do you do that? That's interesting to me. Um, Cause like, I, yeah, I kind of identify with that a little bit more characters that are like further away from myself. Mm. And that's a skill. Yeah, because we can't play ourselves all the time, <laughs> especially music theater. God, um, yeah, hardly any normal people in music theater. <laughs> We're singing and dancing all the time. I mean, what's normal about that? Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think yeah, I think that's more interesting mm. for me. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And how did the COVID pandemic affect you creatively? Oh. <laughs> Does that oh. sum it up? Yeah, that's oh. the best response we've had so far. Let's, Great. Let's just, let's just leave it at that. Cool. Um, <laughs> no, you're welcome um, to go as deep as you want to. God, COVID. It was, yeah, COVID, was, COVID came at a really shit time for me in lots of ways. It, um, but in other ways, it came at a really good time. Um, because I was sort of feeling a bit lost creatively before that. Because, like, I'm, um, I was sort of in my late 30s. But it, so that's part of the problem. A woman in her late 30s, there's like hardly any roles for anyway. But part of my problem is that I still look 25. Um, and I'm sorry for sounding ungrateful. No, I agree. <laughs> I, I agree. You certainly do. Like when you said late thirties, I was a bit like, no. Yeah. Surely not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's really difficult for casting directors to place me. Yeah. Um, especially when like I have, you know, like 20 years of acting experience behind me and I have like a certain level of maturity mm. in performance. I I hope I guess that um, that people don't know what to, what to make of. They expect like a sort of young acting, sounding person. And my voice is not young. My voice sounds its age. I think because mm. um, I'm not a cute little soprano anymore. Um, <laughs> I don't think I ever really was. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, just tried to sing the. I know I did sing the high notes. They weren't. They weren't my happy place, but I definitely had the high notes. Um, yeah, I mean, I played Christine. It was like it was a thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't the Lloyd Webber Christine, but that's a different story. Um, we still had to sing a top C. Still had to sing a top C. So you know, it was there. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, I was feeling in a sort of weird place creatively, um, didn't know what to do. I had some, like, some shit go down in my personal life as well. Um, and so I was just feeling a bit blah. Um, and then was just starting to get get my mojo back. I um, just finished a great Christmas job that I love and I've done several times. Um, I have a really good time doing and then got back to London and was like yeah I'm great I'm really fit I've been running I'm like you know just finding my feet again and then boom lockdown yeah. <laughs> like, oh, come on come on this is horrible um, 
And then, yeah, I, I got a job at the Stagey Sainsbury's, um, which like half of the West End worked out at some point, I, I think. Um, hated it. Had a panic attack in produce one day um, because there were too many people and people weren't keeping their distance and no one was wearing masks and it was just horrible. And management were like, what, what do you want us to do? I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, so that was that only lasted a few weeks. But, um, yeah, tried to keep tried to keep Emojo going in the midst of the most horrible, horrible situation. Um, so I did a couple of a couple of gigs from home. Um, I did a lot of teaching, a lot of teaching singing online, cool, which I still do. Um, I I really enjoy it. Is that is that easy um, to do? Just to teach singing online. I find it. I I I was saying this to a to a, a friend last week. I actually prefer it. Mm. Um, yeah, because like I can I can focus a lot better. Um, and I can yeah I can focus on my student lot a lot a lot more closely because I've got a screen in front of me. I don't have as many distractions. I don't have to play the piano as much, um, which I'm shit at. So that takes a lot of my energy um, if I'm in person, <laughs> like bashing out notes and stuff is not my favorite thing. Um, so yeah, I quite, I, and I got, I, I, I learned how to listen to people's voices through headphones yeah yeah um and i think that gave me the confidence to teach more i think um yeah and i did lots of, i did lots of online classes i did lots of training um in in voice and in teaching and um like actor training i did lots of like workshops and stuff people were doing like like free zoom things because we just wanted to do stuff mm -hmm. um yeah so it was kind of there were good bits and bad bits good bits in that the community kind of came together and we were all trying to make the best out of a really crap situation mm. and the bad bits of all of the anxiety and all of the um yeah. the loss of work and how am i going to pay my rent and um Am I ever going to, am I ever going to sing in front of a live audience again? Am I ever going to, you know, be able to go to the theatre again? Um, all of that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's odd, isn't it? Because for, for career paths that us creators have chosen, we've had to accept that we live day to day in a lot of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. But this level of uncertainty that we were experiencing during lockdown was like yeah next level it was like next well, level what if theaters don't ever reopen again what if yeah i don't know don't if... reopen, dance studios yeah. what you know art galleries what if all this is just gone yep what if we're just you know zooming in our lounge rooms for the rest of rest of time mm. um but like at the same time that i think it was that crisis point where my mental health took a massive nosedive as a lot of people's did yeah um 
I was kind of looking for looking for guidance or looking for help, and that was when I discovered that was when I would just, was uh, discovered I was autistic. Um, just like I think someone posted a video on Facebook or like reposted a TikTok or something, and I saw like a video of like a woman talking about her experience, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's me!" What? Um, so I think that's. In terms of like my creative process and my um, my journey as an actor, that's a massive turning point for me. A massive yeah. turning point, huge, huge. Speaking of Julie Roberts, huge. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think knowing that and exploring that has led me to places that I didn't expect to go yeah. creatively. It's yeah, I can't I can't explain how much of an impact that had. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it, uh, and now do you feel like the diagnosis and everything that offers you clarity? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's still lots of questions. Hmm. Still lots of working shit out. Um still lots of reconciling my neurology with my training and with the industry um, and how to navigate an industry that's not necessarily accepting of neurodivergence. It's getting better. At least people are talking about it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I'm finding areas where it, there's there's work to be done there's an awful lot of work to be done and I don't know and part of that is I don't know what the work is yet but I know that that there's work to be done yeah um and that's part of the reason why I went back into training to learn how to <laughs> to learn how to train actors um yeah because like because my training wasn't as good as it was it wasn't right for me at the time because I'm different and I want to work out how to train people like me. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's fair enough. Yeah. In general. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. You're going to have fun editing this. It's going to be great. Oh, I always do. And, you know, I've got a whole list of questions, but, you know, sometimes it's just more interesting where the conversation goes. It's not about mm -hmm. it being so structured. Um, so true. And, um, yeah, no, this has been great so far. I'm really enjoying it. Um, what part of performing do you love? What day is it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's it Thursday. Depends. <laughs> yeah depends I don't know I don't know all of it yeah. um yeah getting to getting to be someone not myself for a bit mm -hmm. getting to inhabit someone else for a while I think is the best bit getting to play pretend a psychological holiday. 
<laughs> Literally. I get to have someone else's neuroses for a while. That's great. Forget about my own. Um, yeah, playing pretend, playing dress up, hmm. playing. The play aspect of it. People forget that acting is just playing. It's called oh. a play for a reason. It's fun. <laughs> it doesn't have to be so serious. You don't have to kill yourself. You don't have to, like, you ha don't have to give yourself trauma to be an actor. Like, yeah. you don't have to, like, go through hell. It's mm. not necessary. Even if you're having a really emotional performance, you can still have fun. It's allowed. Yeah. Yeah, I think I guess forgotten the play aspect, doesn't it? I think sometimes every now and again you mm. collaborate with someone who is lost, you know, lost in their own heads. Uh, forget it's collaboration. Forget that there's an overall story that needs to be told, not just their character story. Not um, just, hey, I'm having feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at my feels. Look how good I am at being feeling. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, it's, fine. It's, it's fine having feelings. I think it's, you know, putting them yeah. in the right place and, and but making sure they don't sort of encroach on someone else's feelings or someone else's. Uh, and making sure they tell the story. Yeah. Tell the story. Have feelings, but make sure they tell the story. Yeah. What do they, what are they trying to do? What are you trying to affect in an audience? That's the thing that I, I'm, I'm so keen on is like I want to affect an audience in some way. Hmm. I want to, I want to, it's not, so a great friend and a director I worked with, um, the best piece of advice that he gave to me and that I now pass on to everybody else is that it's not your job as an actor to feel, it is your job to make the audience feel. That is the best thing you can remember as an actor, mm. I think. Because it's not necessary for us to have all the feelings as actors. It is necessary for the audience to feel something. Otherwise, they're going to go away thinking that was boring. Yeah. You know, they're not going to be involved. They're not going to find it um, engaging, exciting, whatever it is that you want them to feel. I think that's the reason that we do this, to make an audience feel something. Hmm. And... That doesn't necessarily mean that we have to feel the same thing. I mean, empathy is a great, a great thing. Empathy is wonderful. We play with that. <clears throat> we play with empathy a lot as actors. Um, but it's not the only way to make people feel stuff. We can, you know, we we have other tools at our disposal. Yeah. We can fake it. <laughs> we can fake it. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, if you have to do the feels eight times a week, um, then that's not gonna that's not gonna be great for you. It's not yeah. gonna be great for your uh, for your mental health. Yeah. Well, that's where um, that's where technique comes in, isn't it? That's where. Yeah, um, to a certain extent. Yeah, making making intelligent choices. Hmm. So you're not like ripping your soul out. And I know actors talk about ripping their soul out eight times a week. Oh, okay, cool. How do you feel afterwards? Yeah. Do you have to have a break after six weeks because you're burnt out? Is that is that good for you? Like, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have the correct support around you to be able to deal with that? Mm. You know? And similarly, like, it's not even the 
you know, quote unquote negative emotions as well. It's like, you know, having intense love for someone on stage and then to finish the show and it to not be real, that can be really traumatising as well. Mm. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think we need to be a bit, a bit clever with how, how we create feelings and who we create them for. Hmm. How we do, how we deal with emotion in yeah. general. Yeah. And it, yeah, if emotion happens for us, then fine. Great. But I don't think that should be the goal. Certainly so how, not for me in my practice. Yeah. So how, how do you do it then? How, is, how do you sort of have that detachment from then um, I, having, having these moments on stage and then off stage it being, obviously it's not real. So what's... Yeah. Well, I think part of that is because, like, like I said earlier, like I find it difficult to identify feelings some of the time anyway. Mm. And so I'm not interested in what I'm feeling because I don't know what that is. Um, right, right. And if what I do makes someone cry, then what am I doing? Mm. You know, like I played Eponine um, back in Australia. And in her death scene, you know, little fall of rain, everyone's like in floods. It's hilarious. I found it hilarious. Um, I was like, cool, I'm doing my job. This is great. <laughs> and I'm there, you know, like in Marius's lap, just being like, Ugh, I'm dying. Um, and I knew exactly what I was doing. Like, you know, doing, going through all of the, the emotions and um, not, the, not the emotions, going through the motions. Yeah. Freudian um yeah and doing doing the thing like you know convincing convincing dying acting hopefully convincing um but it was pretend I didn't feel like I'd been shot I didn't like imagine what it felt like to be shot Mm. I kind of did but it was kind of a bit more intellectual you know um and but made the audience cry so cool job done (laughs) you know and then like you know the students would carry me off and i'd we get off stage and i'd be like oh hi guys how you doing like great um well yeah because you don't remain dead do you after the the show's finished (laughs) after the show's no i come back and and sing again at the end of this end of act two um (laughs) in the meantime meantime, my friend who was playing fontaine she'd been dead since the beginning of act one and um She'd gone out and got an ice cream and we sat there in the dressing room eating ice cream. I was like, what? I just died and you're eating ice cream fruit. Um, but yeah, so, but that's, that's how I like to work. Yeah. And there was, oh God, I was doing another, another show um, um, where I had to, I was like being, being ripped away from my husband who was about to be hanged. And I was like, I was really annoyed at myself that I didn't, I wasn't feeling anything. Um, and that was when my friend, um, my director friend was like, you don't have to feel stuff. I'm like, what? What? Because um, he was like, no, it's working. It looks really good. It looks really great. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, maybe it's not necessary to feel stuff. I just need to do stuff. Yeah. I just need to, to do the thing. And if the feels happen, they happen. But that's not my problem. Yeah. I just need to do the thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> just do the thing. 
the other stuff will come. That's it's, it's, it's kind of like that. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, extras of Ricky Gervais and the scene with Ian McKellen. Yeah. Ian McKellen basically. What I do. It's the best acting lesson anyone could ever have. Is I pretend. (laughs) How do I know what to say? Lines are written on a script. (laughs) Pretty much. Pretty much. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then, and then the, the, um, is that, is the, is it extras as well with Patrick Stewart? And he's just like, yeah. Acting. (laughs) Like, yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, what an absolutely incredible man. Um, <laughs> you asked about actors that I follow, and Patrick Stewart is one of them. Oh, yeah, love, he's love, love him. Yeah. yeah. My, my, we found out, because, yeah, my family are massive Star Trek fans, and we watched him in, in Star Trek, obviously. That's how I, I came to know and love him. But we found out that my mum had seen him at the RSC when he was at the RSC. And and she lived in in the UK because um, she still had a program. Um, I think oh, he was cool. in like Twelfth Night or something. Yeah, so she's seen him like you know twenty years earlier at the RSC. Like what? That's so cool. It was awesome, but yeah, no, oh, he's great. He's fantastic. Um, I love his voice. Oh, it's stunning voice. Yeah, mm. you don't get actors' voices like that anymore. No, you could have really imagined him commanding an entire theatre, you know, an, mm-hmm. an auditorium. Just yeah. I worked briefly on, on No Man's Land when he and Ian McKellen did that Pinter play that I don't really get. Um, was it Pinter? They did What You Forgot, didn't they? They did What You Forgot, though. Yeah, but yeah, they did that on Broadway and stuff. But no, they were in they were in No Man's Land at oh, Wyndham's. Okay. Um, and I, the play, I have no idea what the play was about, <laughs> but those two were incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, they were just like bouncing off of each other, and it was wonderful. Yeah. And you can tell they're such good mates. Yeah, I always think of them as soulmates whenever I see them together. They just yeah, yeah they just. Yeah, they're great. Do you have a funny or cringeworthy audition story? Don't we all? <laughs> um, Hopefully. I mean, oh I, I, I expect we all do, but you never know. Yeah. I um, think if you don't, you're not trying hard enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, so sometimes <laughs> it's when you try too hard that you get that funny or cringeworthy. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I think, oh, God, my worst one. I was in for Cats. Which already is ridiculous because um because I'm not a dancer. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was in for I was in for Jenny Any Dots. And again, I don't tap very well. Um in theory I know how. I learned how to do it at drama school, but we did 42nd Street at drama school and they gave me the role that doesn't tap. <laughs> so that you know, that tells you something. Um and I got parts two rounds of two rounds of singing. And they they chucked me in the in the in the dance call, <laughs> and of course I was in the dance call with all the all the ladies and the birdies and all of the all of the dancers who had learnt the jelly it was the jellicle ball and they had learnt the jellicle ball at college, and they knew the choreography, and there was me and I think a couple of other other girls who were like 
movers, <laughs> um, <laughs> learning the choreography for the and because oh, of course I watched it in preparation, but it's not the same as learning the combinations at college, um, you know, and having you know thirteen years of ballet training behind you. Um, so yeah, I did my best. I did my best cat. Um, I just leaned into the cat aspect of it. I was like, because, you know, I have cats. I live with cats. <laughs> I know what they do. I just, I just went, I went full cat. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and the, the, the whole dance aspect kind of didn't really happen. Um, <laughs> I kind of went in the right direction most of the time, but it was mostly like, I'm being a cat. So it was all claws. Did, was, you, did you meow a lot? Or? Um, no, I didn't have any breath. Um, <laughs> couldn't breathe. Um, oh, <laughs> I, was try, I was trying my hardest to dance and cat at the same time. Yeah, um, yeah so that was a terrible, <laughs> that was probably my worst audition experience. It was hilarious and I look back at it now and just go why was I even there um and yeah it was look it was fun I learned the jellical ball great yeah I think you know sometimes um because I'm definitely not a musical theater person definitely not a dancer um <laughs> but I did go to an open call for stomp once upon a time oh yeah um, just running around hitting things well, that's what I thought it would be. I was like, I've got a good sense of rhythm. I could be a stomp, surely. Can't be, can't be that hard. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was pretty awful. Uh, and it was going all right until like there was a moment where like we were all in a circle, and um, and they were like, all oh, right, so you know, we're listening to music and we're all doing sort of a little bit of a choreograph thing, and then you're each going to have your own moment to do your own freestyle stompy stomp bit beat thing right. like whacking your chest or clapping whacking your thigh or whatever just like creating beats so, like yeah i can do this i can do this and it came to me and i don't know like obviously doubt set in at the last second and i just did this very strange just basically i looked like i must have been having some kind of fit um i was just wha <laughs> whacking oh, no. just whacking myself wherever i thought would make a noise um, it didn't look good. Freestyle it jazz. It's freestyle jazz. It's fine. It wasn't in time with the music, and uh, that was it. But I had a great. I mean, that audition was forty-five minutes. So for me, it was like a free workshop with people that did stuff. Yeah, I just had a great time. But um, yeah, not one of my favourite auditions. <laughs> so that's mm -hmm. me being young and thinking, oh, well, I'll just go for anything, not realizing that you should get things you're really good at. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, look, you know, there's value in going for everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's a I learning mean, experience. It makes a good story, maybe. I don't know. But, um... Yeah. You learn. You learn about yourself. And how do you deal with projection? Um, having dealt with it most of my life, fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh, again, like growing up. Um, growing up undiagnosed autistic, I experienced rejection quite a lot. Um, so, and then then chose an industry where rejection is part of the job. <laughs> like, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Um, so I guess, I guess I knew how to deal with it already. 
mm. in a weird way. I mean, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy, especially when it's a job that you really want. Mm. Um, but most of the time I would just have a little rant to myself. Yeah. I was, oh, I was really good. No, I would have been great for that job. Or I balls up the audition. Oh, I'm such an idiot. And, you know, whichever, whichever fit in that particular situation. And then I'd get over it. Um, it got easier. It got much easier as I got older. Yeah. And yeah. And then like auditions were so few and far between that I was just like, oh yeah, whatever, fine. Um, didn't happen that often. So it was okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not, it's never been a, a really, really difficult thing for me. I don't think I say that. But then, like, next time I get rejected, I'll probably be devastated. Um, <laughs> oh, no, that's a lie. I got rejected for a job that I, re- I really cared about a couple of years ago. And I was like, I felt, like, hurt. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I spoke to my friends. They reassured me. I remembered, I remembered why I do what I do. And at that point I was um, planning to go to uni anyway. So I was like, fine, I've got something else to do. That's the choice that I have made. So let's go with that. Yeah. And then, yeah, went back to uni. <laughs> so yeah, it worked out. It all worked out. Um, and now I'm over it and it's fine. Well, I should hope I'm over it. It's two years ago. <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah yeah so do you um do you have like any kind of preparation preparation rituals before you perform or are you superstitious anyway superstition no i i'm these days i make sure that i warm up properly Mm -hmm. vocally and physically because my body is falling apart um um yeah if i if I don't warm up, then I know I feel it. It's definitely a thing. Um, and I just don't like, you know, even if I can just, I can do the, do the job. I'm not, I can't do it as well as I want to, um, without warming up properly. And that for me is like, like stretching and vocalizers and, you know, I have a particular routine that I do, um, that I I've sort of inherit not inherited that's a stupid word um that I've like been taught by my my um my vocal coach who has like passed it on to a whole lot of different people um and um that's kind of my ritual now like doing my stretches doing my warm-up getting ready yeah to perform yeah that's kind of that's kind of my my thing that i mm. do mm. yeah that's cool yeah that was just so so important to be prepared isn't it for you know you've got to be and not only physically switched on but mentally switched on as well mm. yeah. yeah and just yeah the right sort of headspace for whatever it is you're doing and that kind of changes job to job, I think. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, some jobs I'm like, I can be like pissing about and joking with my castmates just before we go on. And other jobs I need to be like, no, I need to be in the right sort of frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's more to do with the respect for the work. I think respect for the vibe of the work. Um, if I'm doing like something particularly serious, it feels kind of disrespectful to be pissing about beforehand, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But and yeah, but they're not necessarily, that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that I don't give as good a performance, if you see what I mean. I think there is some value in like bringing a lightness to something that's serious. Yeah. Like having a joke before going on and doing something incredibly serious can be really interesting and what that brings out. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, I've seen from working front of house, um, working in a theatre and uh, because it was in the round, we were sort of positioned uh, around the stage as well to sort of make sure that people weren't, you know, audience members weren't going into the wrong areas. So mm-hmm. um, quite often you'd have to be practically backstage. And it was during an incredibly serious play, one of the most serious plays I've written. And I was shocked by the cast, like, we're literally like running around, like pushing each other over just before going on stage (laughs) and doing like really serious scenes about really serious Mm -hmm. subject matter or really, or highly emotional. And I'm just like, wow, just like, you know, do whatever you need to do to to get there. That's, you know, I I, I wasn't scoffing at it or anything. I was sort of amazed at like, you could go from being in sort of one frame of mind of being quite almost immature and then going on scene and delivering this cracking, going on stage and delivering this cracking scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I think in some cases it's just, I think it's better to be doing that and then going on and doing something incredibly serious because then, like, you use up all your energy being yeah. serious off stage, yeah. right? Yeah, it's true. And then you've got nothing left by the time you get on. I think um, it's also they were a very close company that clearly trusted each yeah. other very much and valued yeah. each other and were having almost like this silent back because they weren't being loud or noisy, but just this kind of silent banter off stage, just mm-hmm. running around just like shoving each other. And I don't know, yeah. It was just really interesting. I mean, it depends on the company as well, depends yeah, on the on the on the cast. If whatever vibe. And I mean, yeah. if there's an act, if there's one 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 actor who needs to have like a little moment to center themselves or whatever, then great, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally respect that. Yeah. But if you're the the person that needs that wants some banter, find some other people who want banter as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And play with them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I yeah, I'm sort of neither neither exclusively. No, no. Yeah. I mean, what's right for the moment? on the day yeah what's right for the show what's right for yeah the part the day yeah and uh how do you think like either performing or the business has changed since you started <sighs> oh my gosh um well i think there's a lot more awareness of inequality mm-hmm. and diversity and awareness is good. Awareness is a start. Um, not a lot has been done about it necessarily. Um, well, there have, mm, that, yeah, 
things are starting to happen, which is great. But when I first started, that kind of stuff wasn't even spoken about. It wasn't even spoken about like mental health and well-being for actors and um, making sure that casting was diverse and casting was inclusive. And now I see a lot more disabled actors on stage. I see a lot more, um, a lot more ethnic diversity on stage. Um, a lot more interesting parts for women, um, especially older women than when I first started. Um, it's not just boring white men all the time. Um, yeah. And I think we're moving in, in a good direction. But yeah, I think, as I said before, there's still more work to be done in all of those areas. And I don't know what the right course of action is necessarily, but the fact that we're talking about it is really good. The fact that we're kind of making different choices in terms of casting and material that we're putting on and the kind of stuff that gets produced is changing. We're hearing more, more diverse, interesting stories, which is fantastic. And there's conversations about accessibility and about um, inequality and um, class as well, economic inequality mm -hmm. being, you know, coming back to the whole freaking spotlight thing. Like, why should that be? Theatre has, has this awful reputation of being elitist already. Why do we need to perpetuate that? Yep. Why do we need to keep making it more inaccessible to those who can't afford to do an unpaid fringe job who can't afford to to move to london to get work who can't afford to go to like auditions and, and learn you know learn six pages of of sides for the next day when they have to work People can't afford to take time off. People need childcare. People need to pay for their childcare to go to auditions. So there's such an inequality in that sense. But the fact that that's actually being acknowledged now is good and that some casting directors are making accommodations, that's good. And people know that, oh, I can't, you know, I can't give an actor a shitload of material to learn and expect them to have it off book in three days. Yeah. Yeah. because we have lives and jobs we need to pay our rent we need to look after our kids we have you know family responsibilities all of that sort of stuff we can't just drop everything i also i also, so, th I also think like where some of the questions have been answered in regards to diversity has only been answered on the stage or on screen from an acting point of view mm -hmm. um, is this happening for stage crews is this happening for yeah. producers directors writers mm -hmm. is this happening yeah. for people running theaters and who work in development departments in education departments um yep like it's not enough to be like oh we saw uh i don't know an all black cast in the back or we or you know there was a, a really diverse cast in this play it, it mm -hmm. needs to be more than just what we're paying ticket money for it needs exactly. To, it, it needs to. Well, be we pay ticket money for the whole shebang. 
We paid yeah. ticket money for all of the all of the crew, all of the the admin, all of the creatives, everyone. Yeah. yeah. So you know. So that's where it needs. And to I be agree inclusive. that should be absolutely, absolutely, um, because like there should be there should be diverse voices in all departments mm. because that's how we make more interesting work. Yeah. And more exciting work. And that's how we get more people to come to the theater and to come to the cinema because they get to see stories that they relate to because the people behind the scenes are doing the work. And they're telling the stories from their authentic experience. Um, Yeah. It's heading in the right direction, but it's by no means. No. Well, yeah. change isn't, you know, it's not a flick of a light switch, is it? It's, it takes time uh, and it yep. takes more conversations. And like yeah. you say, the, the awareness is great, but it's, it's action. It's all about action. Action. Uh, and I don't um, have the answers. I don't, I don't know how to make it, make it work. I don't know. I don't know how to, how to magic, magically make the industry equitable and mm. happy and diverse and all of these things accessible. You know, I have but no idea. But... but you have needs and wants which are important, which everyone yeah needs to hear, um, and which the higher ups need to hear, which the hierarchy needs to hear, which um, spotlight needs to hear, equity needs to hear, casting directors need to hear. Mm-hmm. I've never been to. I can't think. Mm, that's not the sentence I wanted to end on. I can think. Um, I I've never been. In a casting situation with anyone behind the camera, or or if it was for stage, um, there's, basically they've always been white. Mm-hmm. I've never been by uh, seen by any person of color or, or different ethnicity, or it's all been white. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know that's got to change as well. Yep. Um, there are plenty of talented yep. people out there. Mm-hmm. And personally, I want to see more neurodivergent people out there openly doing their thing. Yeah. And asking for accommodations and being given them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Right. I'll just quickly ask you about your autistic actors Instagram. Um, Yeah. I sort of started, yeah, I started this Instagram a couple couple months ago because I want to find more autistic actors yeah. and, and talk to them and try and share stuff that might be useful in our process. And because, like speaking of diversity, even amongst autistic people, there is such diversity. Mm. Um, because like even, you know, in terms of, in terms of gender, an, a, an autistic male presenting person is going to have a completely different experience to a female presenting person like a, a black autistic person is going to have a different experience to a white autistic person like there's going to be different experiences and like even within our neurology there's differences as well but there's this com- obviously there's common threads um and i want to find out what those are yeah and share them um but to do that i want to talk to more autistic actors <laughs> Right. Well, I'll, I'll Obviously, certainly yeah. I'll, link, I'll link it in the show notes so people can have a look at your Instagram. Thanks. 
yeah, Absolutely. come and check it out. I'm, you know, I don't post very often. Like I try to do once a week, yeah. but obviously like my particular, my particular disability means that that doesn't happen sometimes. <laughs> um, but that's part of it. So um, yeah, I share what I can when I can. And the more people who share as well, the better. That's, well, that's wonderful. I'm so glad you started that because it's a, you know, really important again to make people feel part of the community and to, yeah. to bring people together. And um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's the, yeah, community is what it's all about, and sharing experience and sharing advice. I think. Yeah. Mm. Amazing. Thanks, Kira. Can you just say you're such a great guest? And um, oh, thanks. It's been just a delight to speak to you. I'm going to end this interview the way I end all my interviews with the uh, ten questionnaire, the ten questions questionnaire inspired. Uh, sorry, created by Bernard Pivot, who inspired my favourite interviewer, James Lipton from Inside the Act. Ah, oh, Inside the Act Studio. So uh, delicious. Here, they are. <laughs> what is your favourite word? languid languid nice mm -hmm. that's it i like the yeah. way you pronounce that well. it's just uh, nice it feels nice yeah yeah what is your least favorite word apple <laughs> hey. hate it hate the fruit hate the word right yeah. cool <laughs> that's the new one uh what turns <laughs> you on creatively spiritually or emotionally play yeah play and fun <laughs> yeah uh, and what turns you off oh ego wankers <laughs> yeah which was a nice segue to what is your favorite swear word <laughs> okay okay the one the one that i like to say the most is fuck um <laughs> But culturally, I feel like the C word is definitely up there. Because um, in Australia, not, that's it's a term of endearment. <laughs> yeah, it's a term of endearment where I come from. Yeah. And but I can't really say it here because people take offence, and I'm sorry. Oh, other, um, people, other people have said it. So you're fine. Um, <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Oh, the purr of my cats. Hmm. Purrs are just. Or just like a low, low rumbly hum. Mm. It's just, it's just comforting. <laughs> and what sound or noise do you hate? The Northern Line. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I do. Anyone who's travelled on the tube, actually parts of the Jubilee Line as well, but that <laughs> screeching, horrible. And I have dysphonia some, for some things anyway, and that sound is physically painful for me. Yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, that's so difficult. There were so many. Um, maybe, maybe costume designer. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And what profession would you not like to do? Oh. Oh, um, anything in finance? <laughs> yeah, but... no, thank you. Too many finance bros. Yeah. Um... 
And lastly, <laughs> if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, I mean, aside from the fact that, like, what the fuck are you doing here? You're an atheist. <laughs> um, <laughs> that um, you 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 made a difference. Hmm. Yeah. Also, fuck off. You're an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> amazing Kerry you've been awesome thank you so much for being on the Don't Think Life thank you it's been great talking yeah it's been really great to hear about your journey and um, yeah I'm really pleased that you've also gained some clarity as well with the diagnosis and stuff and uh, yeah I hope you continue to grow that community and meet meet more people and um, me too yeah yeah me too for sure yeah that's the plan well i wish you all the best and um yeah let's speak to you soon amazing thanks ed well that was the absolutely fascinating kieran morsley and um absolutely lovely human what a wonderful wonderful person you are thank you for being a part of the Don't think act podcast and taking some time out it's been um just uh, yeah so nice chatting to you and learning about you and um, getting an insight on what it's to be an autistic creative so um please anyone who is autistic and um and an actor go and check out uh, the autistic actors instagram i'm going to be linking that in the show notes go and grow that community it's, it's such a great idea and it's a wonderful thing and um yeah there's got to be a place for everyone right that's the only way that things are going to work. It's <laughs> the only way it can be. It's the only way it should be. Big thank you to Naomi and David for your contribution to the podcast. Thanks for sending me your voice notes and uh, more importantly, getting to hear your your views on the um, spotlight fiasco, which uh, seems to have died down. But as I said at the beginning, like I'm sure this will rear its ugly head again at some point. Hopefully they'll rethink things hopefully they'll maybe have um uh, you know another tier that can help others out rather than just it being a uh, let's make as much money as we can and um yeah don't stop using your voices to speak out about things that are important it's, you know especially to all our creatives we um you know we haven't got it the worst but um we are sort of very much down the the lower end of uh, how we're viewed in society and 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 what values put upon us when um when it's art that seems to be the thing that's consumed the most so it's baffling isn't it but anyway not not ending on a sour note um thank you for listening thank you for subscribing to the podcast um please tell someone else about the podcast this week Let's keep growing this community and um, yeah, get in touch. If you've got any feedback, if you've got an audition story, if you would love to be interviewed on the podcast, I would love to interview you. Everybody has something to offer. Everybody, any actor, whether you're starting out, whether you've been doing it for five minutes, whether you've been doing it for five years, whether you've been doing it for 50 years, I want to hear from you and we all want to hear from you. We're all so fascinated about each other and why we do what we do. 
and um, it's great because we never stop learning, right? So let's keep that going. Stay safe, everyone, and stay creative.